Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Smart Life podcast where we explore the latest in smart home technology and IoT. I'm Thomas Joy and in today's episode we're going to be exploring how to get the most from your SEO and PPC in a fast evolving industry plus have a bit of a chat about digital comms in general. It's something that we've had a lot of client feedback about. Things like what terms or keywords can we use and how we can make the most of our PPC and display campaigns in an ever-changing and adapting world. Now here to talk to us about it today is our very own Ruthie Pinion, digital communications strategist at Beacon, here to give us the best tips, tricks, uh, and really to get the most out of SEO, PPC, and digital communications in general. Welcome back to the podcast, Ruthie. I'm so glad you had me back. I was worried after last time I wouldn't be invited back. Are you kidding? Our festive specials, if you haven't checked them out, I definitely recommend it because we had a lot of fun recording those, didn't we? So many puns, not enough time. Isn't that just the way in life? Uh, Well, I'm thrilled that you're back with us, Ruthie. So... Right, let's let's start at the basics, shall we? Because I confess, despite working for Beacon and, and with you, um, I am not necessarily the most up to speed when it comes to digital comps uh, and when it comes to AdWords, PPC, you know, all of that great stuff. So do you want to just kind of run us through some of the basics, the foundations of a good digital comms strategy? What are the building blocks? What do you have to bear in mind? So I think the the first thing to remember um is that there are so many ways to find your consumer nowadays there's so many places that they can be um so many different ways to reach them it all depends on where your exact audience is at the exact time and they're going to be in different places you're going to find them all over the shop you might find them on some on instagram some you might find through just searching on google some you might find uh Pretty, pretty much anywhere you can think of really online. But that means that there's a whole load of different disciplines in digital comms. Then um, some have different focuses for different people. Um, we know that B2B, you know, Twitter doesn't really work amazing for B2B just because of the nature of, of what um, the, that type of industry is. Um, but retail does amazing on Instagram because it's visual, people love it. So it kind of depends on your needs about building the exact foundations. Um, But the way we're kind of structuring it is we've got three main disciplines, right? We have the paid, which is just putting money into stuff to make sure that people can see it. So that's whether that's on paid search, um, on Google, sometimes Bing and Yahoo. Don't tell Google I said that, they'll take away my membership. <laughs> it, it can also be paid social, which is just boosting your post, promoting stuff on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all of that fun stuff. Um, or there's display, which is um, all the kind of stuff you see on the sides of web pages when you're browsing stuff. So that's paid media. And that's one arm of digital comms is the way we're understanding it. Then there is the social media and the community management side. Um, this again, kind of depends on your your mission. So if you just want to promote your products and that that works, right? Um, and that's something we can do. That social social media management at its core um, is just promoting your stuff and starting conversations. Taking it a bit further, you can go into what we call community management, which is where you start building up a relationship with your 
users, with your consumers, where you make them feel special, you make them feel heard. And this is going beyond a little bit of the um, kind of typical FAQs, the complaints that you see on Twitter. Um, it goes a bit beyond that. That's all part of social management. But community is when you start fostering them, you start creating groups for them to be in you start you getting hashtags for them to use and you start really like you start recognizing some of the same people coming up and that's that's all part of community management as well as pulling out bad apples i think it's something that people do forget about community management is that sometimes there are people in your community and they should not be there they are making people feel unsafe they are deliberately trying to be a bit of a rabble rouser and when it comes to building that community it needs to be a safe space and it needs to actually be useful to you so sometimes you kind of have to kind of have to do a cheeky little block it never feels great but you're like mm, i kind of have to do this so that's community management and social and then probably the most important bit um because it kind of underpins everything else is your seo and your content management we at beacon love inbound marketing um and it kind of puts you as a brand in the position of the you know sage advisor you're kind of sharing lots of information with them you're helping guide them through the choices that they have to make um which are should they buy your product which product do they buy and you want them to buy yours so seo and content uh, content creation is all about that kind of stuff content creation is all about creating that content to make sure that it's there and the seo is just neatening up your shop front which is your website to make sure that people can find that content and to be honest seo is probably the biggest part of any of this it's the ultimate foundation and setting it up right is so important for your success across all of your marketing so i mean i think that leads us really nicely onto i guess i mean let's talk about seo then so search engine optimization obviously it kind of it does a little bit what it says on the tin but think something as basic as keywords you know for the smart home industry you've got smart home connected technology intelligent home iot you know there are so many different terms and meanings and and things that the customer are looking for and we've said previous on this podcast that consumer education in the smart home market's not always uh great let's be honest so you know sometimes consumers don't even know what to search for in order to find what they're looking for so where does a business begin the worst thing for the smart home industry is how quickly we move. It's brilliant. It's amazing to see how the narrative around um, smart technology kind of has shifted from internet of things to smart devices, to connected living, to intelligent living. Yeah. But it means that we are, our language has moved on and the consumer might still be stuck way further back um, compared to how the industry is speaking, which makes it really difficult to do SEO well. Um, because our gut reaction, and I am guilty of this, I've done this before, is thinking, well, what do I think the consumer should be looking for and targeting that way, which is not how they're going to find you. you the best thing about seo is that it makes you think about your consumers it is an entirely consumer based well 70 percent consumer based activity is 30 percent making sure that google's happy um but isn't that just 30 percent of our lives in general? <laughs> well yes um but you have to think in terms of where your consumer is is searching how they're searching the words that they're looking for 
how can they find you rather than, oh, we work in connected living, so that's what we're going to use. Is the consumer searching for connected living? Possibly not. It's a big question that we're having at the moment around whether we're moving quickly enough into intelligent living as opposed to smart tech um, as a way of kind of discussing this kind of stuff. Um, because I'm not convinced that the consumer's there yet. Yeah. There's a balance to be played between where you think you are and where the consumer still is. So what it means is you need to start from the very bottom and think about if you were a consumer who didn't know your brand, what are they searching in Google to find you? So you say you are a um, smart lighting company. What if someone's looking for your light bulb, what are they typing into Google to find? Depends on the part of the consumer journey. Sometimes they've already got a brand in mind, but if they're thinking more generally, what are they looking for? There's two ways to go with this. It starts breaking down the more we get into it. Mm. Um, and we can go on many different paths, but the short, long and short of it is you can hit up what are called fat head keywords or long tail keywords. Fat heads are the short, snappy ones like smart home, internet of things, all of that kind of stuff, just the really simple ones. And they're really useful. They get a lot of traffic. People are looking for them, but everyone is trying to appear for them. So you might not do as well. The competitiveness on those words is so high that it becomes very difficult to rank for them. On the other end of the scale is the long tail keywords, which are the really, really long ones that are like, what kind of smart bulb can I use for this particular lamp? They don't come up very often, but when they do, those people are looking for something so specific that if you can answer that question clearly, they're sold, easy peasy. Um, so knowing the difference between those two and kind of, you don't just want to target one or the other, a blend of them works really well. Um, and to be honest, having quite a few long tail keywords will help boost how you appear for the fat head keywords. Go into Google and look up your brand name and see what are the autocompletes or go in and do it that way is a very easy way of doing it. You can also do it through things like uh, search term reports in Google Analytics and Search Console. You can do it through platforms like SEMrush. But then we're getting a bit more technical. And if you're starting out, if you're starting out on your SEO journey, those are the best ways to do it. It's literally just go into Google and be like, hmm, what would I want to look for if I wanted to find me? Okay, these are the things. And then you use those to kind of build it out a bit. Yeah. And I think it's really important to say that, of course, this is there's no such thing as a kind of a finalized SEO solution. It's it's a question of constant refinement, constant tweaking. And really, once you're started, you don't ever finish optimizing, do you? It's always you're constantly responding to the consumer. But the first thing is that one, if you've never done SEO before and you start doing SEO, I'm really sorry, but you're going to have your work cut out for you <laughs> for a few weeks. There's a lot. You know, it's not your fault. It's not because you've done anything wrong. It's because Google's very picky about what it wants. Um, so you're starting and getting your site really healthy and making sure that you've got all of that. It takes forever, but mostly once that's done, that's the bit you only have to do once. Because once you've fixed everything that was wrong, everything moving forward you'll do with best practice. So it's a, it's a one one and done job. So that's the technical bit. The optimization part of it, the using the right keywords, that never goes away. That You're stuck with that until the day you either leave your brand, your brand goes bust or you die. Unfortunately, <laughs> those are the 
only real options there. Um, the, it's not a kind of dabble in one. You either commit to it or you don't. Consumer habits change and the language that they're using changes and the things that they're interested in changes. So knowing and responding to that means that you're always working on it. Yeah. And and this comes down to content as well, doesn't it? Not just in terms of like your main, uh, the, the main information on your website, but constantly being able to, to put out good quality content that, you know, that the SEO rankings can, can pick up and identify as associated with your brand and what people are looking for. And that's always going to just help drive results, isn't it? Google has a real focus on answering the question. It wants to make the user experience really useful for the consumer. It wants to answer, if a user types a search into Google, it wants to be able to answer it as soon as possible and in fewer clicks as possible, which is why it started doing those rich snippets and stuff, which we can get mm. onto another time. That's a whole other <laughs> kettle of fish. So continually releasing relevant, useful, accurate content, one, it makes you look like an expert in your field, which Google loves, because as soon as it thinks that you're an expert, it's more likely to put you in the search results because it's more likely that you'll have the right answer to the question that a user has. If you're publishing more content and you're keeping your content up to date, this is a handy thing. You don't necessarily have to repost, like republish something new every time. You can have one page that you update and that will hold its SEO rankings. Say you've got a page from 2018 that's still kind of relevant, but you just need to update it. Update it. That'll stay high in the search rankings if it was already there, but you've put even more relevant information in. And it really likes that because, again, you're looking like the expert. You're answering the user's questions. It's doing exactly what Google wants to do, which is just provide answers in a user-friendly way. Now, of course, this is what we would all describe as organic results. These are people that are finding your website because they are searching for something particular and Google or any other search engines, they are available. There are other search engines available. Yes, indeed. They are putting them in front of the consumer. But of course, there is the other way to reach the consumer, which in a, in one sense, the worst is inorganic, but of course, it's what we would tend to call paid uh, paid advertising, whether or not that's sponsored content on social media platforms or uh, pay-per-click campaigns, PPC campaigns on Google. So again, let's go back to basics here, Ruthie. When we're talking about sponsored content, what do we mean? It means, in short, that you've put a big wad of cash behind something to make sure that people see it. And it means different things in different places. Think about the different ways of doing paid media, the three main different campaigns, video is a different one, but display, social, and um, search as kind of three different stages of the buyer journey, right? Your display campaigns are usually being shown to people who are interested in a related topic, possibly not even a related topic. They just think you might be interested in it. It's very much an awareness stage um, platform, or in most cases. There are cases when it's not, there are cases where it's a handy reminder, but for me, generally speaking, it's a really good awareness channel. Paid social is very good for people who are already interested. It's, uh, there is some awareness to it as well, but you can target really heavily people who are already following, already engaging with your content, which then makes it a really good, you know, 
interest channel. If people are in that second stage, they're kind of researching, they're interested, or if they've already completed the buyer's journey once and they're in that retention stage, another really handy tool, a really handy channel to have. Um, just because it reminds people that you're there, it, it can serve offers and sales, especially to people who are, again, already interested, so they've got a high propensity to buy. Search is twofold. Search has got a lot of that awareness stuff, especially if you're going after keywords that are very broad. Uh, but it can also be a very, very good direct um, decision channel. Uh, people are looking for either answers to questions. So what kind of product should I put in my house? Or they're looking for your brand and they just can't remember your the name of your website. For those who are looking for your website, having ownership of the top part of the, I'm going to call, um, this is going to get called again and again, the SERP, the search engine results page. Um, if you're at the top of the SERP with your ad and with your uh, SEO result, cracking, nobody can steal that consumer from you because they'll see your name straight away and click. Then it's really handy to have for brand protection. There is some arguments around um, what point is it not worth bidding on that keyword? when you've already got it covered in SEO, there's there's a very tricky little minefield there, but it, it's one that not many practitioners have worked out how to do yet. So you can't leave that one for now. But understanding where your customers are is again, another important factor to this one, because you can waste an awful lot of money if you're not sure. And if you haven't set your campaigns up right, if you don't know where your customers sit, and if you're kind of blindly spending on display just for the sake of it, because you've always done display, or if you're blindly paying on social because you think that all of your customers are on Facebook, but you're not sure, you can waste a lot of money with not many returns. But the same vein, a lot of paid advertising is part of the buyer's journey. It's not gonna, you're not gonna find it's your catch-all solution. You're not gonna get all of a sudden, everyone you're getting loads of sales through it it's not going to do that and understanding that yes there is going to be a bit of a money pit but making sure that it's not too much of a money pit is going to be really key so the first thing is to consider pretty much where are your users where are you most getting people from are you getting people from your organic search results are people looking for you a lot is that what's going on are you coming up when people are looking for related keywords, when people are searching generally, what smart light bulb should I use? Then search is where you need to be spending your money because that's where people already are. If you've got a big following on one of your, on one of your social platforms or if you're really engaged in the community there, or if you know you're a fast fashion brand and you know your audience backwards and you can target them really well, then social. If you're still trying to work it out and you're just kind of peppering through, trying to hit as many people as you can, trying to build that awareness, then it's display. Start with one, it's the same with doing a social channel. It's the same with picking which disciplines in, in digital comms you wanna cover. Start with one and build up. If you don't know, the last thing you wanna do is be like, I'm gonna do this on this one and this one. Oh my God, this is so much work. <laughs> it's you'll, you'll cry. We've, 
we've all been there. You think it's a brilliant idea and you're like, this is great, let's do this. And then you go, oh, oh no, this is too much. Start with one, get really good at it, get really embedded in it, do the training, do the like research, go to the webinars, practice, make mistakes, and then lean into the next one. Obviously, return on investment is something you know that is important, and especially because this is, although it's not necessarily a new, you know, form of advertising. But you know, there's still, I think, a degree of uncertainty for businesses um, around spending, especially a lot of money, you know, on essentially what is untested, you know, uncharted waters here. So, in terms of, like you say, that kind of return on investment, because you know, obviously, it is going to take up and and should take up, you know, at least a good chunk of your marketing budget in the 21st century, especially for those brands that are tech focused. In terms of step one, identifying where your customers are, where they're coming from, how do you go about doing that? Buyer personas. I may have ranted about buyer personas before. I love them, they're amazing, and you can have a lot of fun with them as well um, if, you get, if you're really into that. You can guess at where your customers live, you can make assumptions about what you want them to look like and where you want them to be and what you think they should be. Or you can do your research and you can get into your, Google has a lot of information about them. You can look at your kind of consumer profiles. You can look at the audience that you already know that you have and the purchases that you already have. Do a bit of market, call them up, have a chat or do a survey. I mean, if you incentivize it, people will do it because who wouldn't? do things for a 50 quid Amazon voucher. So find out what they are and then build up these. They don't have to be super accurate because you're never going to be able to pinpoint exactly uh, the audience that you need and the audience that you're serving. Um, it's, you can't turn them into one person, but you can turn them into an idea of a person. So work out how old are they? What kind of, what's their relationship to your brand? Are they a in pro installer and they are trying to find out more about you so that they can install your products for their clients are they project managing a big development and they need to know more about vendors that they can use are they doing their own diy are they kind of buying to upgrade but they're going to ask someone else what's the relationship that they have to your brand and then go into what are their problems what problem are you solving for them they want a green solution. They want something that's more eco-friendly. Okay, so then you can start thinking about how do you help them be more eco-friendly? And you can do that with a lot of other kind of problems that they've got. But then you also can start going into where do you find them? Some cases, this is easier than others. Um, some of it just kind of, it's a step in the dark. And if it works, it works. If it sticks, it sticks. Great, if it doesn't adjust. Um, especially in the early days, there is no harm in testing. A-B testing is your friend, be it social generally, be it keywords, be it ad copy, be it paid, any of it, A-B test, because it means that you get one step closer. Everything that is wrong is not wrong. It's a nice little step to where you're going. So work out where they are, because once you've worked out where they are, then you know where you need to be. If you're going after the DIY market, the ones that are showing off their developments and their renos you know having case studies working with them is a really great way to bring their users over to you and be interested but also people who are generally interested in renos have got 
an idea of what you can do and things like that. So knowing where you can find your influencers, where you can find the people who are interested in you will help you then make the most sense of where you need to spend your budget. And you'd be doing this anyway when you're doing your budget plans and when you're doing your marketing strategies. But buyer personas are one of the most useful tools to have in your handbook. And they're one that you don't often need to update. They're ones that once you've done them, you might need to revisit them every six months to check they're still relevant, but usually they will be and you might have to add one extra. Um, they are very much a one and mostly done project. Once, you're, once you've figured out where your clients are and you've built those personas, you can then, you don't have to do five times the work you can you know tweak oh yeah one of my one of the biggest things that i tell i tell our team internally i tell our clients is we always need to work smarter and not harder there are finite hours in the day and i know how much we want to get done but you can't always achieve it being strategic and being like okay the instagram crowd is not going to care about our really cool product that doesn't look pretty that's fine you don't have to tell them everything it saves your work it saves you losing your mind trying to tailor it to them and not seeing the return that you want and it it does just save you money in the long run because you're not spending where you don't need to so finding ways to either only publish things where they need to be published and also only creating stuff that needs to be created it just is it's going to save you time and money now of course tailoring your content for the right audience is it's a really useful tool but being able to build and cultivate a community of users of evangelists and people that are actively trying to promote your products and services can be really beneficial to a business so Ruthie where do brands start where do companies start going about this and and what can they hope to sort of see come out of it Getting evangelists and uh, brand advocates on board is, you know, people buy from people. Word of mouth is going to be one of your biggest converters. People buy if they see a good review. I know that I have been known to see something I like and I will go and check the reviews about it if I've never heard of the brand before. So having a group of people who love your brand they live breathe your brand they've been maybe they've been early adopters maybe they've just played around a lot with it maybe that you've just made such a good product that they can't wait to shout about it is the greatest tool in your arsenal if someone has a question about your product and they've written they've tagged you in it or they've written it as a comment on a post and someone sees it who knows the answer it saves you a job of having to explain it to that customer if you've evangelized or made that person a really strong advocate for your brand. We see this all the time. We know that we tech goes wrong, tech breaks, tech doesn't do what you want it to, glitches happen, things go down, and people just want answers. They just want to know how to fix it. And if they keep, you're not always available, but if someone going through their Facebook at seven o'clock and sees something that you posted and someone's asked a question on it and they have the tools to answer, saves you a job. And also they're getting their answer from someone who isn't your brand. They're getting the answer from someone who cares about the brand. So they're getting a really good review, even though it's not technically a review. 
And the way you do this is just by making sure that your loyal customers, the first thing first, have a product that's great. If it doesn't work, if it doesn't do what you say it's going to do, if it doesn't suit people's needs or they think it's false advertising or whatever, then you, you're screwed because no one's going to be an evangelist for a product that they don't like. So making sure that you've built a product and a also a, a product and brand experience that they like, an easy user journey that goes from when they first start looking at you to when they purchase and beyond. If that's all nice and smooth, they're going to love it and they're going to have a better mental image of your brand. And then if you find ways to keep them engaged, you know, using hashtags, keeping them engaged on social, email newsletters, telling them what's going on, giving them early access to deals if they're signed up to your newsletter. People will give email addresses and things like that if they know they're going to get a good deal out of it. It's a, it's part of, again, what I've been talking about at Christmas. It's part of that privacy transaction. People are willing to give their data if they know they're getting something good out of it. So making sure that you can provide something good for what they're giving up, they'll be more likely to do it. And if they can tell people that, oh, I've signed up for the newsletter and I get all of these cool things, more people are going to sign up for your newsletter. But also, you know, you just get people who are talking about your brand, telling people about your brand, jumping to your rescue. If someone starts being a pain in the butt, they if someone's being rude, if someone's being a bit ignorant about what you're doing, someone's deliberately trying to cause trouble, and you have a group of people who live, breathe, love your brand, they're going to defend you. And it's going to look great for anyone who's searched. It's a re- even though there was one bad comment, it's a great PR exercise if you've got six or seven people jumping in being like, this is wrong, or you've not considered this, or yeah. you're not being fair. At the end of the day, if you can do anything, if you could do one thing, get your customers to love and shout about you. Sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes you're using a product that is just kind of, you're going up against a name stay. Sometimes it's harder than others to to really get that that kind of relationship going. But if you can at least be like creating that really lovely experience, the customer service is great. They've got quick and timely response times. Everyone that they deal with is really polite. I know there's some brands that I won't, go back to because I've had a bad experience yeah um so building the whole picture it's it takes it out of the realm of digital comms a little bit because now we're talking about customer service and your UX and your designs and all of that kind of stuff if you can get it right it's killer it does great work for you I think that's really paramount isn't it the the consumer experience goes way beyond the product these days. And I think that that's what we're learning with the smart home market. It's not, you know, we, we've said really from episode one of this podcast, it's not about the features. It's not about the tech. It's about the difference it makes to your life. And frankly, if that's an easy, enjoyable experience, then, you know, your, your customers are going to want to share about, you know, share it because, you know, we do. And, you know, I, it's one of those things that I think it kind of transcends demographic. You know, if you've had a good experience for a brand, especially with social media, we're so used to sharing these experiences these days that the communities, even if they're not, even if they're sort of unofficial, you know, they're not sort of fully fledged, you know, forums of people, but just the, you know, the odd comment here and there on social media or on, you know, reviews on an e-commerce platform that, 
you know starts with a and finishes with mazon um you know it's 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 really crucial and i think that's one of the great things about um said platforms q a service is that you know if you've got people that are ready there to cultivate potential customers that can go and leap in and just say hey um i've got an answer for you you know here it is it like you say it, it all helps doesn't it i firmly believe that it is the strongest benefit that the the smart home industry has is that if you've got it right which i imagine many people who listen to this podcast do if you've got a product that works you're making people's lives easier and what else do you want to shout about than something that's made your life easier if, if, if i've made my life easier by getting my laundry done by like <laughs> uh i hate ironing for example other laundry services are available <laughs> i want to tell everyone about it yep. because it make if it's made my life easier it might make my mom's life easier because my mom's a busy woman and if it makes her life easier maybe she'll get it from my grandma because my grandmother's an old lady and she needs some more help so if we've there's a if smart home is so beautifully positioned in that fundamentally it's going to make your life easier if you've just set it up right so people are going to shout about it if you've done it right because yeah. they want everyone else's lives to be easier because then they can spend more money well they can spend more time playing games they can spend more time going out with friends if we're ever allowed to do that again <laughs> wouldn't that be nice <laughs> Um, they can spend more time with their families. Yeah. And of course, that's the thing with social media. And we talk about, you know, uh, social media as, again, a platform for marketing. But actually, you know, rather than the official accounts, you know, that, that people can put stuff up, it's the perfect tool to generate that that word of mouth marketing. And, and you know, as brands, uh, you know, as an agency from a marketeer point of view, we can we can equip consumers to do that word of mouth advertising for us, you know, on our behalves. And like you say, what what's better than an authentic you know um recommendation now ruthie you know me you know that i love a list and i mean who doesn't love a list everyone loves a list so let's talk about lists and in particular i would like a list of things from you three things that our listeners can think about doing quickly easily and reasonably today to start thinking about their digital comms strategy going forward so three things what are they one Buyer personas, the the background of all of this, they're your foundation. Know who you're targeting, know what they're interested in, and know where they are hanging out. Do think about the messaging about the products or the specific services that you want to offer and where. So this kind of takes it a bit, it's kind of similar to buyer personas, but you're taking it that step further because you're starting to hammer down the exact messaging for each target audience in the right place. And three is just to start writing content. Content's so important for SEO uh, and it's going to take you a while to get to quote unquote really good content and really good SEO content. So start now because the more practice that you get in, the more times you're trying to do the right keywords in your content, the more times you're trying to answer the question, the easier it'll be and the quicker you'll get to writing quote unquote really good SEO content. I was going to say, I think it's a really important distinction to make the difference between something that's well-written and something that's well-written for SEO, because sometimes things that are well-written for SEO might not necessarily be the most organic flowing bits of prose ever written by the human hand. By the It's definitely getting better. Google's algorithms are getting too smart. Um, so you don't have to keyword stuff and you don't have to do any of that anymore, which is a whole other con con conversation for another day. You can write more organically 
but we don't tend to think about keywords when we're writing. So it's that thing that you have to practice is working out where you're starting from, what you want to say, what questions you want to answer and writing with that in mind. That's the tricky jump to make. It does take a while. Now, Ruthie, I'm afraid that we're nearly out of time for this episode, but you've given us some fantastic information and insight around the world of SEO, PPC, social communities, and so on. But what if our listeners want to know a little bit more about the digital comms strategy? So I know everyone loves hearing my voice and they love me coming on these podcasts just because of my dulcet tones. <laughs> but if you want to hear more from me and if you want to see my beautiful face, which will be a treat for everyone, I'm sure, uh, I will be running a webinar on the 14th of April, uh, which is a Wednesday. I think it's at half past uh, 10. There's a link in the show notes if you want to register, be in Zoom. Um, well, we'll just talk about more about uh digital comms our approach uh, a little bit it's not going to be hugely salesy per se so you will get lots of useful information but you can ask a lot of your questions if there's any specific concerns um feel free to hop in and we can either answer them right there and or we can get in touch and work out how we can help you if there's something that you really really need to understand or want to understand Brilliant, Ruthie. I am certainly looking forward to that. Uh, And thank you very much for joining me on today's episode of The Smart Life. And of course, thank you to you for listening as well. If you've got any questions about anything that we've mentioned today, then you can drop us an email. We're at hello at beaconagency.co.uk or find us on social media. Funnily enough, we're there too, uh, at beaconuk on Twitter, at beacon underscore UK on Instagram, and just search for Beacon Agency on Facebook or on LinkedIn as well. We're there too. We're pretty much everywhere, but not TikTok, not yet. That's an episode. Not yet. That's an idea for another episode. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for joining. We hope you've enjoyed and keep your eyes peeled for season three, a full season of the Smart Life podcast coming later this year. We're very excited to share that with you. I might be back. I should certainly hope so.